recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Let's get into, let me pray and we'll just get into God's word. Father, thank you for your heart for the nations. Thank you that you are a missional God. You're an incarnational God that, uh, Lord, reaches out from within cultures and communities. And we just thank you that, Lord, you've called us here to be in Parramatta, but, Lord, also to be thinking about the nations. And so, Lord, we pray that you will continue your good work here. We pray that as we come around your word, that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll challenge us. Lord, these uh, last few weeks have been so challenging as we reflect and think about who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help me to communicate your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. May you find our hearts open and responsive and eager to obey as we consider how we can live out our identity to glorify your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want want to ask you to look at the screens and tell me how you would respond to these quotes. The first one is from uh, Charles Spurgeon who said, Man is born to be a servant, and a servant he must be. Who shall be his master? That is the question. Bob Dylan said this many, many years later. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I wonder, I wonder how that makes you feel. I wonder how you respond to that idea that you, me, all of us are servants. It's just a matter of choosing who our master is. What we don't have an option is about serving. Confronting, I think, in particularly in our culture, in our Western mindset, maybe in many other cultures, we associate the idea of servanthood or being a servant as being menial, Second rate, lower class, without rights, without dignity, without privileges, often oppressed, the recipients of injustice and violence and abuse. Many, many negative connotations come into our mind. And because we're surrounded by a culture that continually tells us to look after number one, to be the top dog, to be the alpha, to be the one that has others serving you rather than being the one who serves others. Uh, we're told to, to be the head and not the foot, even in church, right, sometimes. And even in the ministry sometimes, we have this idea that pastors and leaders are there to be served. And so we, 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 we have a love-hate relationship with this word in some ways. And yet, everywhere in the New Testament, we're told that part of our identity in Christ is to be a servant. Is to be a servant. Let me just run you through some of the New Testament teaching. Uh, Jesus, so we're in good company. Jesus himself defined himself as a servant. Old Testament prophecy refers to Jesus as a servant. Jesus talked about his ministry as coming not to be served, but to serve. Our, Our very conversion experience is described as becoming a servant. And I, I wanted to kind of read you a couple of scriptures because I want the word of God to grab a hold of your heart. Listen to what it says in Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Now, this is part of a whole section that Paul is writing about how we used to be slaves to unrighteousness, to wickedness, to sin. But now we've become the slaves, servants of God. 
Hebrews 9.14. How much, sorry, back. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So that we may serve the living God. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul talks to the Thessalonians. This says, you turn from idols to now serve the living God. It, it describes what it means to be a Christian, the conversion experience. Jesus also in several places talked about how in the kingdom, the path to greatness is by being a servant. Jesus in several other places used many, many parables to talk about the relationship between us and God as our master. And he taught about as servants, we ought to be ready for the coming of Jesus. As servants, we ought to be found faithful in discharging the duties that we've been entrusted. Servants. And then when we go beyond the Gospels and we come to the New Testament, the word servant is the most commonly used self-designation of the apostles and their partners in ministry. They call themselves servants of Christ. And as we kind of enter into the, the, the pastoral letters, Paul actually talks to Timothy about even vocational, full-time if you like, vocational ministers are described as servants of the Gospel. And then we get to the end of the book, Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And throughout, John refers to the people of God as servants. Servants. And here's another one where I wanted to read you a, a reference because I, don't, I think we miss this sometimes in when we read the book of Revelation and we get to the end times and we're so excited about being in heaven and being in glory. But John actually says right at the end in Revelation 22 that for all of eternity, for all of glory, we will be servants. Listen to what he says. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We, we read the reign forever and ever part and we go, yes, but servants who will serve him for all eternity? Interesting. I wonder how we sit with that. I wonder how that strikes us. Like I said, I think for many of us, we have a love-hate relationship with the idea of serving and servanthood and being a servant. And I think legitimately so because many of us have had really bad experiences with that. And I think, uh, being honest, I think I've wrestled with it and I'm sure many of you have wrestled with it. And probably because there have been two thieves that have hijacked this whole identity of us as being servants. And I think the reason being that our serving has become about us. We've made it about us. And I think there's these two thieves that has, have robbed us of the life and the joy and the freedom that comes from living out our identity as servants. And I think they express themselves in two ways. And I've been a victim of both of these, and maybe you have too. The first one is approval. Approval. This is when we allow other people to be our masters. And our serving is at their whim and their fancy. And we want more than anything their recognition and their approval and their endorsement. And we are happy to serve as long as it's good for me. As long as it leads to promotion or recognition or elevation. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1 and 2. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It's approval. 
If you do, Jesus says, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven because you're not actually serving Him. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Approval. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is saying, if you want human approval, then go for it because you'll get it, but you'll get nothing more. You, you won't have your father's approval because you're not serving him. Approval. But the thing is, when you, when you serve for that reason, when you serve for other people's approval, when you give them the power to be your master, you're always at their whim. You're always trying to earn their favor and you never know when you've done enough and you never know when it's good enough and you're terrified that if you serve badly, they will think less of you because your whole identity and your value is tied to their approval of your serving. It's crushing, crippling, dehumanizing. You become a slave in that process. The second thief is related, appreciation. Appreciation. Now, again, I, I want to qualify this. None of us likes being taken advantage of and taken for granted. And I'm not saying that as a church and as a community and as families, we ought not to show appreciation. Not at all. But when we live for that, when we serve for that, it can be a terrible master. This is when it's not other people that we're now serving, but it's ourselves that we're serving. Because we like the pats on the shoulder. We like people telling us, thank you. I so appreciate you. That's so wonderful. What would we do without you? My goodness, we wouldn't survive if you weren't here to do what you're doing. Oh my God, we're so appreciative. And when we go, yes, yes, you're right. I am indispensable. I am that person. I am so good. You would be less without me. I am the best mother you will ever have. I'm the best husband, the best wife you will ever have. Yes, you ought to be grateful. And you should be telling me every day how amazing I am. When you live for that, it's about you and you're serving for you. And again, you've given over that power to others. And maybe you've been there and you felt taken advantage of, taken for granted, unappreciated in your home, in your workplace, wherever you might find yourself. And you've served and you've served and you've given and you've sacrificed and no one's ever said, thank you. We appreciate you. We value you. And it sucked the life out of serving. And maybe you felt that in church and you feel burnt out and you feel abused and you feel chewed up and spat out. I've talked to so many people who've been there and the life and the joy of serving left a long time ago. And any talk about our identity being a servant is terrifying. Terrifying. So where's the problem? Where did it all go wrong? Because see, I think we've come to this place, maybe for many of us, where we're asking ourselves the wrong question. The question we are often asking ourselves is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it for me to sacrifice, for me to give, for me to be up at night, worrying, caring, loving, whatever it is that you do at home, at work, is it really worth it? See, because if you're wanting approval and appreciation and you're not getting it, the answer is going to be no. It's not worth it. But I want to suggest to you that maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe a better question is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Let me tell you about Helen Rosevere. She's an English missionary 
physician in the African Congo. She was taken prisoner by rebels during the Simba Rebellion in 1964. She was beaten and abused by her captors. She suffered terribly. In the days that followed, she found herself asking, is it worth it? As she began to ponder the cost of following Jesus, she sensed God speaking to her about it. Years later, she explained to an interviewer, when the awful moments came during the rebellion and the price seemed too high to pay, the Lord seemed to say to me, change the question. It's not, is it worth it? It's, am I worthy? She concluded that in spite of the pain she had endured, always the answer is yes. He is worthy. He is worthy. And I want to suggest to you this morning, maybe the thing that will radically change our self-identification as servants is two words, of God. Of God. If we see ourselves as just servants, it'll suck the life out of us. But when we add the of God in, servants of God changes everything. Changes everything. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 where Paul unpacks this for us. And in a very beautiful way. And I, I pray that this speaks into your heart. This is part of the household code where Paul is instructing the Colossians on how to live out their faith. And he says this in verse 22 to 25. Colossians 3, 22 to 25. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, not only when their eye is on you, and to, listen to this phrase, curry their favor. This is approval language but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Can you see what Paul did there in those short, there's like four verses he mentions the lordship of Jesus Christ in just about every verse. It's the, it's the governing idea in this whole section. He says in verse 22, reverence for the Lord. Verse 23, working for the Lord. In verse 24, twice, from the Lord. And right at the end, it is the Lord Christ you are saving. Now he introduces the idea of Jesus being the Messiah, our Savior. If we don't get the who right, the how and the why will never be right. And so if you remember nothing else, remember this. The who will always affect the why and the how. Always. Always. And that's Paul's point. The who is Jesus, your Savior, your Christ, your Messiah, the one who redeemed you, the one who served you by going to the cross for you. That's the who. Never lose sight of that. Servant of God, servant of Jesus, servant of the Christ, servant of your Savior, servant of the suffering servant. That's who you are. And when you get that right, then the how, he says, it's with all your heart. 
You, you do everything 100%. You don't do shoddy work. You don't compromise. You don't see how little you can do. You, you give your whole heart because you're not giving it to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to the church, to a leader, to your boss. No, you're giving it to Jesus and he is worthy. And you do it with sincerity of heart. You don't do it when people are looking at you to get approval or to get appreciation or the pat on the back. You're not doing it for that because you're doing it for Jesus. It affects the why. You're not doing it to advance your own career. You're not doing it to be noticed. You're not doing it for their eyes to be on you, to receive a reward that is temporal and transient and fickle and based on the whims of those people around you. No, you're not doing it for that. You're doing it for an eternal reward, receiving the inheritance from the Lord. It is He that rewards. It is His reward that you're working for. It affects the how and the why, but you've got to get the who right. So as I kind of encourage you to reconsider your identity as a servant, to reframe it, to realize that we are the servants of God. And I hope that as you embrace these things, that God will do something powerful in your heart whether you've been burnt, hurt, disappointed, felt unappreciated, taken advantage of, taken for granted, unseen, that as you understand the truth of God's word and who it is you're serving, whose servant you are, that something will be reignited in your heart. And whether it's in your workplace or your family or in church or in your community, that there'll be something different about the way you live because you've come to understand who you are in Christ five things about, about being a servant that I, I want to leave with you. The, the first one is that you're approved. You're approved by God himself. And, you, and you're approved because of Christ. You're approved because of his sacrificial work on the cross. You're approved because you are standing in his righteousness. As a Christian, this ought to radically change the way you serve because you don't need to try and grab people's approval. You have the approval of the most important person in the whole universe. And it's unshakable, unremovable, unalterable, unconditional. You are approved in Christ. I mean, listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 1, 5 to 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. See, we've been freed from our sins by his blood. That's what makes us approved. And then Revelation 5, 9 to 10 says something very similar. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased from for God persons purchased, bought with the blood of Jesus, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You are approved in Jesus. You don't need to grasp for it from anyone else because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he served you first. You are approved in God. The second thing that's so profound is that you're seen. You're seen. You're not invisible. Not anything that you've done for anyone has missed the attention of your father. In the same passage we looked at in Matthew 6 where, where Jesus talked about doing your good deeds to, to get other people's attention, he goes on to say, the father who sees you in secret will reward you. 
you're not forgotten. You're not overlooked. You're not unseen. And in Hebrews 6, this is one of my favorite verses, it says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. He, he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. It, it, it's the love you show him. Jesus said the same thing, right? To the, the, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. You're not unseen. God sees when you get up in the middle of the night to care for a sick child. God sees how you faithfully prepare meals for your husband, your wife, your family. God sees how you make cups of coffee for your fellow co-workers in your office. And they never say thank you. God sees when you serve in morning tea or behind the scenes emptying bins and nobody sees. God sees when you care for an aging family member, a parent, a grandparent. How you take their meals. I'm getting emotional here. But God sees. He knows how you pray for your friends. He knows when you drive people to their doctor's appointments because they're too sick to do it for themselves. Nobody else might. And they might never thank you, but he sees you. The third thing, I'm going to move on from this point because I'm going to lose it. The third thing that's so profound is that we are co-workers with God. I mean, this is just mind-blowing. The creator of the universe invites you into a partnership to contribute to his work in the world. The stuff you do in your workplace, in your job, as a teacher, as a computer operator, as a software engineer, uh, whatever it is you're doing, as an accountant or a lawyer or an engineer, all of that is your way of partnering with the creator of the universe in his kingdom endeavors, in seeing his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That cup of water that you give is your extension of God's hands to that person. That smile, that kind act, that generosity, that sacrificial giving of money and your time and your energy as you give yourself. It is God reaching out to those people through your hands, through your feet, through your wallet. God has called you to partner with him in his work. Awesome. Fourthly, as servants of God, we're accountable. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, Paul goes into great length, and he's talking particularly in the context of church ministry, but I think it's true of everything. And we see that in the parables of Jesus. When a servant was given five bags, there is an accounting. What did you do with the five bags? What did you do with the three? What did you do with the one? And there are questions that are asked. In, in Corinthians, Paul says, I'm not accountable to you. He, he deals with the approval and appreciation things. He says, I'm not accountable. You can't judge me. I'm not going to be judged by you. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I only have one master. I'm accountable to him. And he will not only judge the quality of my work, how I've built, how I've used the resources that God's given me, how I conducted the trust that God has given me, but he will also weigh the motives of my heart. Not just the how, but why. Why did I do that? What was driving me? Is it my love and devotion for Jesus or because I wanted approval and appreciation? Because I wanted to look good. We're accountable. Lastly, we will be rewarded. 
Uh, so much stuff has been written about what Christians' reward will be in heaven. And people talk about mansions in glory and crowns and jewels and all kinds of stuff. Look, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. I think when we get there, we're not going to really care because the streets are paved with gold anyway. Jesus will say, ah, pick some up and put it on your head if you want, you know. I'm cool with that, you know. And the walls are made of precious jewels. You want a jewel? Yeah, grab, grab a brick and put it on your head if you want. Uh, look, I, I don't know. But I know that the Bible affirms everywhere that Jesus will reward us. And the stuff that I put down here, uh, uh, like just mind-blowing to think about. Matthew 25, Jesus says that he will commend us. Uh, for me, hearing Jesus who died for me say, well done, Forget the gold and the jewels, man. I think that'd be awesome. And, and for Jesus to say, welcome, I've got some stuff I need you to do. What, you want me to serve some more? I don't think that'll be my reaction. It'll be like, seriously, Jesus, you've got stuff for me to do? That's pretty cool. Commendation and, and extra responsibility. I'm like, wow, faithful in little, faithful in much. And then this one in Luke 12, just really, this one blows my mind that we'll be served by the master. And I have no idea what that means. But just the idea that Jesus says, you know, when, for my faithful servants, I'll say, come in, sit down, let me serve you. He, he's already served me. Like what more is there for him to do? Profound. So I don't know what this means. I'm just telling you that's what Jesus said. And it sounds pretty amazing to me. Eternal inheritance. This incredible reward that God gives us for faithfulness being in glory with him that's that's enough in john 12 jesus talks about and this is another cool one that we will be with jesus and honored by the father i mean <laughs> honored by the creator of the universe honored by the what does that mean do i get a gold star from the creator of the universe man i'll take it like that like, think about that that the father will honor you and here we are chasing after honor and recognition from other humans. Like, come on. Like, really? But when we're servants of God, he says, I'll honor you. You're not forgotten. You're not unseen, overlooked, taken for granted. No, I, I got your back. I I'm keeping score and I'll give you your gold stars. You just got to wait a bit. And the last one is... I mean, come on, forget gold, jewels. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we receive praise from God. I mean, isn't that what we want? And the reason we want approval and appreciation is because God wired us to need those things. But that's not the problem. The problem is where we look to get them. And, and God's saying, get it from me, servant of God. Servant of God. How, how would your life, my life be different if we really got this? If we really got it and embraced it with our whole hearts. You know, I always use Marvel reference. I'm sorry, I've gone a bit over. This time, something different. The Crown, I've been watching. I'm not a hardcore fan yet. But something I saw about the coronation of Queen Elizabeth brought this out so powerfully. She's the queen. And she's preparing for a coronation. They flash back to a scene when she was a child and her father, who was also going to be, uh, have his coronation, was telling her about the weight of that experience and that moment. And he said that the most 
sacred moment is when the archbishop came and put oil on his head and on his heart and on his hands and says, now you are anointed to be God's servant. And the weight that Elizabeth carried into that office when she saw herself that way. If we could just get that, each of us, not just a pastor, not just a connect group leader, not just elders and board members and the special people, all of us are like that, anointed, head, heart, hands, feet, every part of us to be servants of God in our world. How would you serve your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your co-workers, the, you, the people you don't even like, your neighbors that irritate you, the people in church that drive you insane, the people that you just can't stand. How would you serve them differently when you realize that you're not their servant, you're not my servant, you're not anybody else's servant, but you're the servant of God in this world to partner with him in his work in advancing his kingdom. Last illustration. Kathleen, uh, sorry, Catherine Hamlin, She's a remarkable Australian surgeon and she's passed away now, but she and her husband uh, had a hospital in Ethiopia. It was the world's only hospital dedicated to curing women from the devastating physical and emotional trauma of obstetric, obstetric fistulas, a common injury in the developing world that can occur during childbirth. Listen to this. Catherine is credited with overseeing the treatment of more than 60,000 women still operating at the hospital when she was 92 years old and still beginning each day with a cup of tea and Bible study, Hamlin told people who came to ask her how she's doing this. You know what she said? I am just an ordinary believer in Jesus who was simply doing the job that God had given me to do. Let me pray. Father, here we are. Why don't you stand with me? Why don't you open your heart, your hands, and make this commitment with me. Father, we are here as your people, but we are here as your servants. And we are here as your servants because you have served us first in Jesus. And Lord, we ask that as we go out even now into morning tea, Lord, as we go out into our families and communities and workplaces this week, schools and universities, May we go with a new understanding of who we are as blood-bought, spirit-empowered and commissioned men and women of God sent by you into your world to be your servants. Lord, I pray for those who've been hurt in this area, who've been taken advantage of and Lord, who've been crippled by other people's approval or lack of it and have not been shown appreciation. God, I pray that we would be a church and we would be families that do recognize and do see and do affirm and do appreciate. And Lord, that that would be a glimpse of what you will do for us one day. Yeah, absolutely. But Lord, I pray for those who've been crushed because of those things, that you will revive their hearts, renew them in your grace and fill them with your love and a sense of knowing who they are in Jesus so that we might live differently in our world for your namesake and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. 
To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.